What does it take to live your best life on your terms? To change how things are done? How do you need to show up as a leader so you feel capable of making a difference? What needs to happen that has us able to confidently say we are truly living, leading, and operating our businesses and our lives from our purpose? Join me over drinks as I go behind the scenes to reveal the freedom, fulfillment, and success this sort of radical thinking has had in the personal and professional lives of my guests. Cheers. Yeah, sweet, man. Yeah, cheers to over drinks. There you go. To good conversations. So we're going to dig in, and, and this is all inside of leading, leadership, being the ones that drive the change that's needed in our worlds. And, and really, all of us are leaders in one way or another, can be leaders if we only allow ourselves to be. And that's what this podcast is pointing to, to share the stories, the stories of the CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, not to diminish, how could you, because they're, they're at the upper echelons, but that actually, uh, it, it's intrinsic in all of us and the things that we do to, to really make what it is that we're wanting to make happen, happen, and rallying people around that, it's, uh, it's happening on a regular basis. So... That's what this podcast is about, to really put the, the light on you, right, Matt, yeah. the guy who runs Be Your Own Loud, a podcast about giving people a voice, showing people how to do that, right? Like they're, they're, and you got people behind you, and, and you're doing something with it. And, and I want to know a little bit about how you got to this point. We all got a story, right? Uh-huh. And where does your story start a lot of failure sweet uh, really honest man um so <clears throat> i graduated so I'm, I'm gonna go back it'll be quick so i graduated college with a degree in applied ethics which is literally the most unemployable position or education you can get but i got one of four paid internships in in the states for biomedical ethics, which is where I was headed. So my wife and I, I married my wife in June, and in August we moved to Omaha, Nebraska. And I stayed there for 12 years. So basically my job was to teach doctors ethical reasoning and nurses ethical reasoning. Now, I'm sure it doesn't surprise you, but they don't want to hear from me. Like, who, who am I, right? I'm not in the medical field and so on and so forth. So my the majority of my job was being an intermediary at the end of life. Mm-hmm. Right. So somebody would get into a car, what always happened, car accident, motorcycle accidents, what always happened. Mostly motorcycle accidents because there's no helmet law in Nebraska. And got to be cool. Yeah. Or dead. And so, you know, people would bring me in and David, they'd, they'd say, doctor is saying this. Here's what we believe from a religious standpoint. And I was in the middle. So every time, this is how long ago this was, every time my pager went off. Oh, man. Right. You just dated yourself. We, yeah, I did totally. So my wife and I, we, we were all alone down there. And then uh, my wife was in school and she decided that she wanted to work with at-risk kids. And so we had an opportunity to work in a place called Boys Town. Now, Boys Town is the most amazing place in the world. This is where at-risk boys and girls go to live in a very structured behavioral environment. So we lived with 36 at-risk teenage boys for four years, four and a half years. Wow. Went to grad school to become a therapist. And here's where the failure really begins. I'm 
in my last class in grad school. So I was getting my, my master's in, in, what is it? It's right there. Master of Science as a therapist. And I was also getting a, a master's level certification as a life coach, which this was the only place in the whole real world that did that at the time. And uh, my mentor professor pulls me aside and he said, hey, dude, here's the deal. You're going to be a terrible therapist. And I'm like 70,000 in the hole. Right? <laughs> that would have been nice and to know earlier. <laughs> earlier, right? So I didn't believe him, of course. I hung my shingle, dude, and found out very quickly that he was right. Men don't want to talk to men and women don't want to talk to men generally as a therapist. And so I was at the at my end, right? A wife, two young, I have twin boys. They were two or three at the time. We were dying financially. I could not make ends meet as a therapist. So I went on careerbuilder.com and I typed in life coach. Two things came up. The first one was a franchise that you had to invest $250,000 in, oh, my word. Uh, which I ended up finding out later is Vistage, which is actually a wonderful organization, but I, I obviously didn't have $250,000 to buy, become a Vistage coach. And the other one is to work with this financial services guy at Omaha, Nebraska named Ron Carson. So I, I sent in a resume, got to the first level of interview, they denied me. No, you're not good fit. Okay. I'm very persistent. I said, you know, no, I'm going to be perfect for you. I just need to learn your language. Just because I'm not a financial advisor doesn't mean that I can't learn how to teach and coach financial advisors. I have a master's degree as a coach. Seven interviews later. So I had already had my first one. The seventh interview, I finally convinced them to let me talk to the owner of the company. Now, I didn't know who this guy was. And this guy's a huge hitter. He's worth probably almost a billion dollars. Now, when I worked with him, he was making 12 million a year, unbelievable level of success. And people wanted to emulate him. So we created a coaching program. And I went to Dillard's and I bought the most expensive suit I could buy, which was $780. And this was in 2006 on a credit card because we were broke. Did you have Walking a suit but prior to that? No, I okay. didn't. Right. Just checking. Yeah, <laughs> so I walked in and I sat down. He had this very famous table, which is all looking back on it is, is humorous to me, but sat down at his famous table and he looked at me and said, what are you doing? Like, you just leave us alone, kind of. And I said, wow. no, I, I need you to understand. I'm going to be your best coach you've ever had in, the, in six months. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to pay me half of what you're paying everybody because I was broke. You're going to pay me half. I didn't even know what people got paid there. Pay me half of what you're paying everybody else. And if in six months I do live up to this expectation, you're going to bring my pay up to in line with everybody else. And, and I'm going to be a full-time person here. And he goes, well, that's a risk I've got to take. He said, you're cocky as hell. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. I know I'm going to kill it. I'm going to be the best coach you've ever had. So he, they hired me. And within six months, I was touring with him all over the country, flying on his private jet. I was his opening act for his speaking engagements. I, I built, rebuilt their entire coaching program, and it was awesome. But I got into a world, David, that you know, there's a saying that people always get wrong, which is money is the root of all evil. It's not the saying. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. Oh, and that is so different, isn't it? Brother, when you live in a world where the guy that you're flying with has a watch that's more expensive than your home. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you're in a where I was, I, I grew up poor, brother. I, we, we were like government cheese, poor right. uh, housing projects, poor. And now I'm on jets and limos. And anyway, so I got cocky, which I do. Cause I think highly of myself, <laughs> which I thought I was doing a good job for the guy. So I went back to him and I said, here's the deal. I want 20% of what I'm bringing in. Yeah. I wasn't even making 10%. So he was making 90% on my labor. And I was like, look, dude, I'm not stupid here. You know, hey, I want 20%. And he said, no. So I went out on my own, ran my own coaching consulting business. And then I met this guy who is now my business partner. So I told you this is a long story. I tried to make it short, but his name's Kirk, right? Kirk's a Canadian. He lives in Oshawa, Ontario. I kept finding out that my clients kept telling me that stop telling me what to do. I need somebody to do it for me. Hmm. And Kirk and I had like this mutual epiphany at the same time. Like, hey, dude, why don't we get together and create something that we refer to it now as the rock star approach, right? You you show up and you do a podcast with us, you drop the mic, and then my, my team does all of this amazing stuff for you. And so four and a half years ago, we shut down our businesses, both of us, just shut the doors. He was a marketing and branding expert. Uh, I had probably 20, 30 private clients that I worked with from a practice management consulting. And we started what then was called top advisor coaching or top advisor marketing. And then uh, now it's called proud mouth. And that's where we are today. Now we got 23 freaking employees. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's amazing. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't a very long story, just so you know, you oh. actually paraphrase that quite well. I, I got the gist of of the of the game the journey that was your career <laughs> and it was quite the picture that you painted and now you're in a place where you are leading a group of people yeah and when you're in that position the game changes because much like having children you are now accountable for many right? Not just yourself, but many. And we need leaders, and especially now, and I know you would echo this in kind, is that we, we actually need leaders that are inspirational, that are uh, willing to take the lead, willing to, to do the, the unexpected to empower us, not necessarily command and conquer over us, right? Like it's a very different dynamic of leadership now. Why don't you I'm curious to know what your take is on that particular journey, because I suspect you didn't really have any idea of what to do now, right? Like in, in being in that space going, now what? No, I, I, I had no idea. I mean, it was a solo thing for me forever. Same thing with Kirk, right? The, the, our businesses were all about us and our face and our name and our pedigree and what we've done. And we built everything with some serious intention. And, and I think that's where I think where we've won. Okay. And putting it into a, you know, win loss category. Kirk and I sat down and, and then first person we hired was a lady named Lisa. She's our COO. Um, she was our first hire. She was only going to work with us for 12 hours a week, 15 hours a week. First week, it was like 30, right? I mean, and, and now she works harder than anybody. And she's, this woman is the most remarkable human being I think I've probably met, and especially professionally. So we we did everything very intentional. And so we created a list of core values that we wanted to maintain as a company. 
And, and the first thing that we wanted to make sure that we did was we built a company with a very, very specific culture. So people would have a feeling when they worked with us. David, we just did, our marketing director said, hey, we want to do team features. So I went and interviewed every of our team members now. And they had a list of questions to, to answer. So we gave them some, some leeway and some freedom. And every, every person who I interviewed said that the number one thing that they like about working here is the culture. And dude, that like, holy crap. I mean, we did it purposely and it worked. <laughs> it actually worked. Why and do you think a, it worked? Well, because we live it. Everything that we do, we live it. We, we, first off, it's not about us. Right. And that's our whole major focus is what, what can we do as an organization, as a organic entity to help people rise above the noise and be there on loud. When you wake up in the morning and you know that I'm going to deal with, with David today, David's whole goal is to stop being the best kept secret in his area. <laughs> and my job is to do whatever <laughs> I can, right, brother. Um, my job is to do whatever I possibly can to make it so that you just stand out above the rest. And that's what everybody strives for every day. We have a unified vision. We are unconditionally supportive. Anybody needs any help, they can call anybody in the organization. We're entirely virtual. We have, we've only met in person once in five years. We cover North America, South America, Africa. We're in India. Well, and we're in the Philippines. We also focused really hard on hiring people who are multicultural, multilingual. I think we have like eight or nine different languages that are spoken within our organization. And our job is to just empower and guide and support. And what's well, crazy. What would you say? Because not everybody's a fit, right? Yeah. Uh, when you look at the the best intention and, and coming from a place of values, uh, working to to articulate values, and this can be a bit of a... Um, a devil in disguise, uh, well-meaning, but lacking the, the, the truth of the matter, right? It's, it, it can very easily get uh, turned into phrases that sound really great, but lack very little substance for the group coming together, right? So, so there's this desire, this aspiration, like these are the type of people, this is who we, we aspire to be, we want to be. And then there's the reality of who we actually are. And there's this dichotomy between the two of them, right? And, and that is the, the, the work, I believe, uh, in the leadership sphere to, to have that dialed into not, not aspirationally, but but who we are, right? What works pragmatically? You point to culture. Culture is is soil to be nurtured and nourished. It is not fabricated. Fabricated culture doesn't really go very far, if it if at all, right? Now there are those that come into the organization with the idea of like, yeah, this would be great. We would, I, I think I would be a really good fit here. And whether that's the pitch or that comes from a genuine place, you know, it's, it's one or the other. And then sometimes it just isn't. And, and how do you manage that, that ebb and flow? How do, how do you keep the integrity of what you create as new people come on? Well, we've really dialed in our hiring process now. And so, I don't think we have the same issues that we had previously 
we have retained 85% of the people that we've ever hired. Now, those 15%, it was very apparent as the culture continued to coalesce that they weren't right. Mm-hmm. And the, the craziest part about it was, wasn't the management or the executive team who spoke up. You know, it was the team like, this person just doesn't feel right. Like there's something wrong and it's not wrong with them. They're just not a good fit for us, right? The first one was, was my number two. And I was stubborn as hell. I didn't want her to go because I really liked her personally. I still do. I think she's an amazing human. She just didn't fit, right? Um, and then the second person was, or she was a director of marketing. The second one was a director of marketing. Um, and we have a philosophy called Kaizen here. It's not our philosophy. It's a Japanese philosophy. It's graduates. Yeah. yeah, graduates continual improvement, right? And if you're not doing that, if you don't embody that, which which means, in my opinion, David, we're not perfect, dude. Right? We're going to screw up, right? And right. Uh, how do you learn? You make a mistake and then you pivot. We say all the time, look, we don't do brain surgery here, right? We help entrepreneurs have a stronger digital footprint, right? I mean, that's freaking not brain surgery. Nobody's dying here. But when people take it so seriously, like, people, these guys got mad. Like, you, you screwed up. And I'm like, dude, have you ever failed? Because I fail all the time. And we just believe in failing forward. I, this sounds so cliche, but David, this is like so ingrained in our culture that when I say that to my team, they're like, yep, yeah, dude, that's exactly where we're at. Like, I, I remember I just made a mistake two weeks ago. And instead of us doing, you know, what used to happen to me, which is, you know, you get yelled at by the boss or hell no, we don't do that. We look at, it, we break it down. What, okay. What happened? Okay. So this is what happened. One of the systems wasn't followed. Okay, great. Follow the system, right? I mean, that's it. I sent the wrong file. Oh, like, those I mean, are, these fun. are the sorts of things. I mean, come on, man. What is that? It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an honoring of, of what it actually means, what it is to be human. And we are not robots. We do not, <laughs> affect, you know, drive to a level of efficiency where we never falter. That That's just... It is not what we do as humans, and we're we're not very good at that. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 obvious now. I would say there was a time where the expectation for that sort of perfection was not uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It's non-optional. Mm-hmm. You deliver, you over-deliver, you overachieve, you consistently overachieve. And if that means that you're going to keel over, well, so be it, right? Uh, but the reality is that's not what serves us. That's, that's not what enables us as human beings to actually expand and be more effective in whatever it is that we're doing. It's I, There's a little irony in that as well, right? We, we need to be able to feel like we can screw up. Yeah because that is where the lesson lives. That is where the growth lives. I, I really love how you talk about culture because culture is, it's the roots that we establish, right? It's, it's what will hold everything yeah. on top of it. And, and if we can't nurture that culture, well, it just starts to die. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you nurture your culture? What do you do? 
we remind the team on a regular basis when they're living up to the values that we've set for the organization. And so just as a, a probably a good example, I think is one of our, the, the woman who's in charge of all of our account managers. So we have a, the structure of our organization is we've got the executive team and then we've got the account managers and then we've got our social media assistants. And then over here, we've got the podcasting group. So the young lady who uh, left <laughs> and I was not happy she left because I she was awesome. And I, I kept in touch because she was just, she was perfect for us, but she wanted to see what the world was like. We hired her right out of grad school. You know, we threw a bunch of stuff at her and she's like, wow, this is overwhelming. You know, it's a startup. Holy crap. And uh, and so she left, she left for a year and her name is Lauren and I kept in touch and I was like, Lauren, you know, how you doing? Can I help you with anything? Right. I just, I like you as a human. You're an awesome person. You know, I kind of would love to see if I could mentor you a little bit because you just have it, whatever it was, right. She just has it. I remember the last time, the last time I reached out to her and she's like, yeah, I made a big mistake. And I'm like, okay. What, what what does that mean? She said, every time you contact me, all I think about is how much I loved working with you guys. Amazing. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, that wasn't my intention. Please understand. You know, I was really just offering help from a genuine place of just wanting you to succeed as a human. And so she came back. We couldn't even meet her salary requirements, dude. I mean, I was like, look, I want, I, I, I would pay you 10 times what you're asking if I could, but we're a startup and you know that. So she came back. And she just started her own podcast. Now we run a podcasting company. I mean, that's the foundation of everything that we do here at, at Broadmouth. She started her own podcast and you should, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's called, we don't cook on Fridays and it's her and her friend. They're 30 something women single. It's brilliant. Right. And everybody on our team is behind her hundred percent. They're like, look, here's the deal. We hope that you get sponsored and you make millions of dollars and you leave us on a great note because it's that good. And we just want you to be your own loud, right? Again, it goes back to the foundational things that we build everything. You know, is she rising above the noise? She is. She's talking to millennial women about what it's like to be a millennial in a way that I haven't heard. Right. And so we just want to do whatever we can to, to support and highlight that stuff. We're very quick to, to compliment. We're very quick to, to show appreciation. You know, David, I guess it probably doesn't hurt that I was a life coach, right? And so, you know, it's kind of in your DNA, right? It really is. And in, in, you know, my wife has said many times, uh, you know, hey, I need husband Matt right now. No, I don't need coach Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I know my that wife as well. <laughs> cheers, cheers to that. I'm That's just, right. So we try to do whatever we can to to just reinforce those values. And when we see somebody living those values, we highlight it and say, "Freaking good job, man." Well, and here's what I hear, and there's a pun inside of that single statement. It's what you're listening to or how well you're listening. And it is an art form, a a mastery to be able to listen well. And those that are in the arenas of coaching of, of all sorts, uh, I would say that's one of the biggest things that, that gets dialed in. If you are good at what you do, if you're not good at what you do, you're likely a narcissist and, and that's a whole other game, right? Mm-hmm. So to be really good at listening 
has you hear what it is that's being said, even when it's not being said, because you can read between the lines. And I think that is one of the biggest opportunities for anyone in a leadership position to be able to dial in your listening to such a degree where you can actually tune out the noise, right? If we're going to follow through with that metaphor, to tune out the noise, to rise above the noise, to get to what actually matters and what's important to that person or to the group, right? That is a superpower. And I believe that the organizations that are very successful, organizations like yours, while they might not necessarily point to that specifically, that is a core component to why the culture works so well. What do you say about that? Well, as a person who was trained to listen in grad school, which is really what a therapist trained to do, I think that people don't realize they have to practice it too. Yeah. Um, and I, I try to practice it as much as I possibly can. But I think there's one layer deeper of that, if you don't mind, which is I want to hear them, right? This, this is, it's a deep desire for the three people who run the company, Kirk, Lisa, and I, we want our people to be happy and be successful, right? It, it, whether that's with us or not. You know, one of my, uh, one of my, old bosses, we did not part well, said to me, you know, Matt, one of the, one of the greatest things that you can do for somebody sometimes in business is to let them go so that they can find the path that they need to find if it's not with you. And another mentor of mine, his name's Dan Sype, unbelievable human, said, I want to run a business so that I am not the last person that they pull from a fire. Right now he was, he's wildly humble and, and rather self-deprecating, but, you know, I think about that often and we're an entirely virtual company. If anybody's house catches on fire, everybody, you know, you, whatever. It'd be pretty hard to do. Yeah. 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 They're not coming from Canada to Michigan to save my butt. But I think that CEOs now see Kirk, Kirk is the CEO. He's the captain of our ship. Okay. Um, I'm the chief relationship and revenue officer. That's what I do. We, we share, you know, obviously the three of us, we're, we're, uh, we're always talking. Nobody makes a decision in a vacuum. Um, Lisa is our chief operating officer. But we genuinely want to hear what's going on. And we're reinforced, David. I mean, that, I guess, that, you know, it really comes back down to some very simple behavioral, psychological things is, like I said at the beginning, I interviewed everybody on our team, right? And... I hope that everybody on our team listens to the, all the people that I interviewed because it it supports everything that we've wanted to build. There's a great book called Black Stretchy Pants by a guy named Chip who who started Lululemon. Now, mind you, he has made a couple of missteps since the book came out. But at the same time, he built an amazing culture and he talks a lot about that. And then the other book that we have focused on very, very closely is a book called Fix by Ryan Gill and, and Rob Howard. And, uh, Riley Gill, one of the first things, and we've actually retained Rob Howard as a consultant. 
And one of the things that he said to us all the time is if you truly want to build a cult brand, the cult has to start in-house. Yeah. And, and he's, he heard some of these team interviews and we meet with him weekly and he's like, you guys are well on your way because the cult has already been established. The cult of personality of what proud mouth is and what are, what being your own loud means and rising above the noise and getting your voice out there and being strong and proud of who you are and what you do and what makes you unique and different happened, you know, in 23 different locations around the world. Yeah. So it's obvious that you have the the incubator the the ingredients and and there is something that is growing and maturing as everyone as you as a group move forward and there is a direction that you're going in right and we we need to be really leadership and it starts with leadership but there it doesn't mean that everybody else isn't part of that that work to to get clarity of you know where we're going the future of it all because if we're just creating for the sake of creating i i go back to the, my burnout as a as a creative and it missed the reason why? why why am i doing this why am i churning this all out and now your why is pretty clear but to what end you know if you look at the future what kind of work have you guys done to really get clear about where you're going sometimes brother it seems like we're holding on to a fire hose dude mm-hmm. and you know looking down the road is is it's not that we're putting fires out it's just so much is going on that achieving that level of clarity of focus is a hard thing to to prioritize to to make space yeah. for absolutely and it's critical right yeah. especially in this day and age where we need to we don't want to get too caught up in the future of it in the fantasy of what's possible we also need to be inspired to make progress towards an objective right to to ad- address the the bigger reason for being, the noble cause, whatever it is. Simon Sinek talks about it all the time, right? So share a little bit about what what the journey has been and what your plans are. Well, the original plan was it was to build to sell. And so, in fact, one of the first books that Kirk and I read was a book called Build to Sell. And our goal was to get to a very, very specific number and then sell, mm-hmm. right? And so that him and I could basically just kind of go off into the sunset, do our own stuff. Would that be on a horse or... For me, boat. Ah, <laughs> but, yes. Uh, you know, so, so that was our foundation, and and Kirk abandoned that very quickly. He saw potential here. He's he he's much more of a visionary than I am, and I, I just I look up to him for that. It's just beautiful. I was holding on to selling, right? And and funny thing is, we're getting close to the multiple now. That it was that it was going to be the, the the triggering sale thing for my percentage of the company that I own. And now, now the focus shifts. So when we went through the rebrand with Rob and a bunch of people from Communo and these organizations that we have just absolutely felt so happy to have been introduced to, all of that changed. And, and now we're, we're looking at how can we make experts, people who are truly doing something that is not Wall Street, that's Main Street stuff, right? That's the, the, the woman who's down the street from you, who is the greatest at this one thing, whatever that is. And I don't care what it is. 
what can we do to get her to compete with those Wall Street people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just nerf that language there rather quickly. And so that's what we want to do. And I want to help every single solitary person I can. Now, here's the problem. I know I can't, right? And I know not everybody can afford our premium services. And, and we are not cheap because we do so much. So we created an academy, a learning environment so that people who can't afford for us to do the rockstar approach I told you about earlier, that they can learn how we teach our people to do it. One of the things that Kirk told me early on, which was a huge blow to my ego when we first met, was you don't really have anything that's unique and different, Matt. You just need to give everything away. You know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause that because yes. Kirk is right. And yes, he is. Yeah, there, there is this fan, fantastic little secret, and I can only speak to the marketing space because that's that's my arena that I find so funny. The proprietary processes and systems and and documents or whatever jazz you've got in your tickle trunk, not to diminish the value of said systems and processes, but the the reality is none of it is unique. And so there's a freedom (laughs) in just letting it go, isn't there? Yeah, dude, it was, I grew, I mean, we've grown. I mean, the more we give away, David, the more we grow, it's unfreaking believable. My favorite thing is when we, so we have two podcasts, we've got the top advisor marketing podcast and we've got the be your own loud podcast and the top advisor marketing podcast. We, we started off in financial services. So that's where Kirk and I kind of cut our teeth professionally and and have somewhat of a name or that we have a good network that we can offer products and services to. And we have had our competition, like direct competition on our podcast for years. Mm. And I remember one of my business friends pulled me aside at a conference and he's like, what are you doing? You guys just had blankety blank on the podcast. And they're your direct competition. You're fighting for the same share of wallet. And I was like, you're thinking too small. And he's like, what? I said, you're thinking too small, dude. Like, we have to move into an abundance mindset. It's this competition thing that we're all fighting for these scraps of crap falling from the table when I'm sitting at the table. I'm at the table. I want that person sitting next to me because you know what? You might not like my approach. And since you now see, I've lifted the hood, you've seen the whole engine that runs the whole damn thing. Maybe you don't like a component of my engine. But so there's a lady, her name is Claire Aiken, direct competition of us. I love her dearly. She's unbelievable. She does things just a little differently than we do. We're applying to the same people, you know? I mean, our our services are applicable to the same people, right? She'll call me up all, all the time. Matt, you know what? If something's not right here. Maybe they're a good fit for you. Hmm. And, and I refer people to her left and right. Here's an interesting thing that you point to. Are you familiar with the Edelman trust barometer? No. Oh, that'll kind of blow your mind a little bit, I think. So the Edelman PR agency, they're global. They measure the state of trust in the world and have for the last 20 years. Wow. It's, it's actually what sourced the work that my group that came together began and what I am continuing to do in my own right, in my own version of it, carry that forward. And and it is, it lives inside of the grapple with trust. What we're challenged by as a society, by measure of 
those that are in control have control and what they've been doing for all of that time with it. And it's it's been eroded, right? Gradually eroded. And so we do not trust. We, as a matter of fact, their 2021 barometer indicates that a, a vast majority do not have any faith in media to say what needs to be said, like none. And uh, and then those in leadership positions, they do not believe that they have our best interests at heart. And oh. it, there's no surprise there when you really look at the big game that's being played. And then what you talk about in, in embracing your competition is the the metaphorical hammer to the wall that's been up for however long that has you be here and them be there. And it is what will rebuild trust person by person, mm-hmm. action by action, in order to, to instill the confidence again, the necessary confidence that we can have, the pie is actually pretty big. Yeah, dude. We can have a piece of the pie. You can have whipped cream on yours. I will have raspberries on mine. And you can have whatever you want on your, like it doesn't have to be the way it's always been told it needs to be. And I think this is really where we're coming into it, right? Really realizing, at least for those who are brave enough to step into it, see what's possible if you could only just embrace your neighbor. Yeah. Well, I love humans, dude. We're we're all we're all in this together, dude. We're like on this thing that's spinning super crazy fast, and the probability of us being here is so slim. And the fact that I'm given the gift of tomorrow is unbelievable, right? Why? Why? We're dude. We're ninety nine point nine percent the same. All of us, everybody. Yeah. Right. We're we're all brothers and sisters on this planet, and we got to take care of each other. And it's not. The pie is not finite, right? The pie is this ever reproducing, growing thing of beauty that you can just give away. And why don't you do that, right? And don't don't get me wrong. I am motivated by money. I like making money. Uh, I think it's great, but I don't want to make money where I'm screwing everybody else. I just I can't. I've been the everybody else, David. I was just telling you the story. A guy made 90% off of my labor, 90%. I asked for 10% more and his greed would not allow that to even enter into his mind. Mm-hmm. Can't do that. I can't live like that. I can't be that person. I want when I see my team for them to be happy to see me, right? I want to be proud of the work that I do for them to make their lives better and their work life better and for them to have a great job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because why not? Why, why wouldn't you want to do that? What would be possible if actually everybody felt like they were taken care of, that their opinions were valuable and valued and mattered and made the difference towards the bigger objective, whichever objective that might be, but that we feel included inside of that initiative, right? That direction moving forward. We're all on the train. Ryan Gill said something at the beginning of the podcast that I did with him 
he took me in a very different direction than I was planning on going, by the way, because uh, I was going to talk to him about leadership and the fact that he's grown these unbelievable organizations and all that. And he's like, Matt, I don't want to talk about that. I want to, I want to free the world from loneliness. And why wouldn't you want to do that? Right? The powers that be want us to fight against each other. That's it. That's how they maintain their level of control. There's this great book that nobody ever reads. It's called The Prince by Machiavelli, right? It's like the ground work of everything that is going on. And, and it's not conspiracy theory. It's not whatever. It's the reality of how you control a populace. And I want to be against that, mm-hmm. right? I want everybody to realize that they don't have to fight, fight for the scraps under the table, that we can all sit together. Let's all eat and enjoy. And you know what? If you don't like this meal, let's find you another one. Right now in the States, I am considered really far left for that very simple philosophy of wanting to take care of my fellow human beings that I'm 99.9% like. I just don't know how that's just not pervasive to me. And I don't know. Well, it's like you said, it's uh, the powers that be and they're a very very effective measures of control and manipulation and coercion. Um, I mean, it's, it's marketing got bred from those roots, right? It's not, it hasn't gone away. In fact, it's ramped up. Um, And so this is our, this is our opportunity. Hey, Matt, as those blazing the trail inside the world of marketing and communications to, to the, the reality, the opportunity that, that we have is to give another person the microphone. That's right. And the platform that was normally only available for a, a small select group. Now we have amplification. We are probably more effective if you think about it, more effective than the, uh, than the legacy institutions that that are currently in control and only by measure of the, the talented people that they employ and that they ridicule and, and, and repress that know the technology, right? If, if those people just simply said, you know what, I'm going to be my own loud and fuck y'all and I'm going to go speak about what needs to be talked about from my perspective over here. If, if we all just gave ourselves a little bit of freedom to explore that, what you're talking about, what's possible, which I would make the assertion for you, Matt, to say that if maybe you haven't dialed in your vision of the future, it lives inside of this podcast, right? And it, it just needs, it just needs a little bit of, uh, solidifying, right? To have it anchored, dead set in front of you to remind you of that thing when you're like, what's, why am I doing this again? Like, what's the point of this? Because it happens, right? Where we inevitably get caught up in the, the resignation of life. Yeah. 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 Well, really great. Thanks, man. Anything else that you want to add before we kind of wrap this up? Oh, I just kind of with a support to what you just said there, 
We met this lady. I'd actually been following her for a long time. I have a hobby. It's a very niche hobby. I create art out of found metal. Nice. And so uh, I followed this lady. Her name is Barbie the Welder. <laughs> Something about her. She's very real, right? And she creates unbelievable works of art, like uh, crazy works of art. And she produces so much video. And I reached out to her because I wanted to have her be a guest on the podcast. I never thought she'd say yes. I mean, she's famous, like within our world, famous, famous as famous can be. Like she sponsors, she sells her works for tens of thousands of dollars, right? And she has this huge following, about 250,000 people who are welders who love her, right? She said, yeah, so fast. And she's exactly who we're, we're looking for. It's that diamond in the rough. It's that one person who has that something that's so fundamentally unique and different. She's got a, her own little tribe, brother, right? That just waits for her to say cool stuff. And having her on the show, because she'd never really podcasted before, having her on the show was absolutely unbelievable. And the reason I bring that up is because that long-term focus that we have realizing that we can't directly help everybody is why we decided to create something that the foundation of it is entirely free, that we can just have everybody and their brother plug into how they can be their own loud and rise above the noise, right? If, if you, I don't care if you brew, we were talking about beer earlier, if you brew your own beer, mead, wine, if you're a, a musician, if you're a potter, if you're a chiropractor, if you're a whatever, if you feel that you have something the mainstream authorities are not supporting, right? So we, we refer to it as, you know, Main Street versus Wall Street. If you have something that Wall Street doesn't want you to say, then you need to talk to me because I want to do whatever I possibly can to help you rise above the noise and be your own loud. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I get up for every day. And if I can't, if I can't help you, it's just happened to a guy who was like, look, dude, I can't afford anything you offer. It's like, okay, great. You got five hours of my time, right? I'm just telling you that right now, you got a link to my calendar. I'm going to do whatever I possibly can to help you. If I feel like you're taking advantage of me, I'm going to tell you, but I think you have something here that is really different. And I would like to still help you. And he's like, well, why would you do that? I said, cause I'm living my mission. This is my mission don't get me wrong. I'd like to get you to a place where you could afford us. That'd be freaking awesome, but you can't, but I still think what you're doing is the right thing. And so we built the influence accelerator Academy for people to get into to first off, look around and realize they're not alone and to create a tribe and a community that supports other experts in any way that they possibly can, whether it's like what you've done for me, having me on your show right? Which I cannot thank you enough. Interviewing you for a blog post, an article, sharing social media posts. David, it starts there. It's, it, it really is that there's so much power in the grassroots of things. And we just want to be there to provide you with the fertile soil to grow whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, we'll, we'll make sure that we post all of those links so that uh, those that are curious and, and are willing to take the dive, have the, the pool to jump in. Thanks, brother. Yeah, anytime. I enjoyed this podcast, Matt, because you speak and echo a, a real passion for myself. And that's why I've, I mean, it started out of just wanting to get my own stuff out of my own head that's going on so that it frees up 
space for the other important things that I don't even know are important yet, right? It was necessary, is necessary to have these types of conversations and to create the the space and, and the platform for others to do the same who feel like they just can't. And I'm I'm grateful for who I am and what I'm capable of uh, to be able to to make this available and and to continue to seek you know the what else and this is not it's not just this there, there's more to this game and and we just get to explore it and and co-create right uh whoever happens to fall and and um streamline we, we pass streams as it were we get to create some pretty cool stuff and and that part really excites me so i'm, I'm glad you came on board and and i look forward to what else happens we don't even know right but uh, that's the beauty of meeting new people is if you're open anything's possible amen to that man the right leadership changes everything and for our next generation of game changers striving to achieve what is yet to be achieved you must be willing to do what has never been done so make ripples lead the charge create cool shit that shows others the way to be braver brighter and better than we were yesterday personally you owe it to yourself the more we come together more intentionally to support one another, the sooner we'll all find ourselves not just living, but contributing to the creation of the vibrant, connected communities that fuel dreams. It takes a certain leader to make this happen. So who comes to mind that you would like to hear from? Please let me know, and I'll see what I can do to make it happen. Thanks so much for listening.